Well, I can tell you it's not often that St. Patrick's Day actually falls on a Sunday. So I wore my green tie, and I thought I'd begin with a little Irish humor. So Father O'Malley answered the phone. Hello, is this Father O'Malley? It is. This is the Internal Revenue Service, the Income Tax Department. Can you help us? I can. Do you know a Ted Houlihan? I do. Is he a member of your congregation? He is. Did he donate $10,000 to your church? He will. Father O'Reilly was a parish priest, and every week during Mass, during his homily, he was inclined to expound upon his own political beliefs about the English. His parish was rather sophisticated. They grew tired of hearing his rants about the Brits. It was so regular and so explicit that members of his parish began to complain to the bishop. So the bishop confronted confronted Father O'Reilly, explaining that if he continued to denigrate the English in his homilies, the bishop would be forced to remove him from the parish. I'm sorry, bishop. It won't happen again, I promise, exclaimed Father O'Reilly. But then he did it again. So the bishop removed Father O'Reilly from his parish for a time to consider his actions. But it was Lent about several months later, and Holy Week was coming, and the bishop began to wonder, geez, what's a priest if he can't lead worship during Holy Week? So the bishop allowed Father O'Reilly to lead worship after obtaining a promise from him not to say anything against the English in his homily. So Monday, Thursday came. Father O'Reilly began to recount the story of Jesus in the upper room with his disciples. And he said, and then Jesus turned to his disciples. And he said, one of you is going to betray me. And John turned to him and said, is it I, Lord? No, John, it's not you. And Peter turned to the Lord and said, is it I, Lord? No, Peter, it's not you. And then Judas turned to him and asked, I say, old chap, it wouldn't be me, would it? (laughs) So Murphy applied for a fermentation operator post at a famous Irish firm in Dublin. And an American applied for the same job, and since both applicants had a similar qualification for the job, they were both asked to take a test by the manager. Well, when the results were in, amazingly, both men had only one wrong answer. So the manager went to Murphy and said, thank you for coming to the interview, but we've decided to give the American the job. And Murphy said, why would you be doing that? We both got 19 questions correct. And this being Ireland and me being Irish, 
I think I should have the job. And the manager said, well, we made our decision not on the correct answers, but on the question you missed. And Murphy said, and just how would one incorrect answer be better than the other? And the manager said, well, simple. On question number seven, the American wrote down, I don't know. You put down, neither do I. I just thought maybe a little humor this morning would be helpful. <laughs> Our text today comes from Isaiah 43. At another time in history where the world was in a lot of tumult, this word came from the prophet Isaiah. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I've redeemed you. I've called you by name, you are mine. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, in a week where the news has been filled with cheating scandals for admission to elite universities, over $25 million exchanging hands involving coaches and proctors of exams and a Harvard graduate who's so smart he can get any score on an SAT he wants. Then there's the crash of the Boeing jet in Ethiopia and the loss of 157 lives and the shooting at two mosques in a place called Christ Church, New Zealand. And all of it captured on a head cam and shared through social media. Designed, it appears, to start some kind of a holy war. Or at least a racial war. This racist white supremacy ideology spewed in a 74-page manifesto resulted in the deaths of 49 people and over 40 injured in Christ Church, New Zealand. I can't believe that those who established and named that city ever imagined that one day the world would know that name and place as a place of carnage. Carnage by an Australian deliberately attacking that place of peace and tranquility. The news this week has cultivated a desire for a place of shelter, a place of nurture, and a place of spiritual fellowship. Our congregation is in the midst of a series, a sermon series, on the six great ends of the church. Last week, we talked about the first great end, proclamation of the gospel for the salvation of humankind. This week, we take up the subject of the shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God. 
This congregation began in another time of division and conflict, organized in 1941. It was just months before Pearl Harbor and the entrance of the United States into World War II. And it would be years before the congregation newly organized for the nurture and spiritual fellowship of the children of God before they could ever build anything. They existed as a congregation. They met where they could for worship, for teaching, for mission and outreach. Early in that experience of this congregation, the decision was made to buy this three-acre site of land upon which we exist today from the school district in order to build a place of worship. This sanctuary and these church buildings were dedicated for education and ministries to the community. Neighbors, however, seeking to prevent the sale, sued the school district to keep them from selling the land to this young church. And at first, there was a petition for a temporary injunction to restrain the school board from selling the land, but that effort failed when a judge denied the injunction. So they sued again on other grounds, and the case was allowed to proceed, and it culminated in a two-day trial, which concluded with Superior Judge Ingle W. Bull affirming the right of the high school district board to sell its surplus land to the church and ordered the escrow to proceed. Now, according to Betty Carriel's history, all three attorneys that were representing the school district were church members. And some in the developing congregation worried about the additional expense of the litigation costs. The costs for those attorneys' fees led to comments around the church that, you know, typical fees for two days in court, that legal bunch is receiving what could pay for another wing on the church. What is the church? Is it these buildings? Is it this three-acre site? Or is it something much more profound? An idea? A commitment? Does it exist where there's brick and mortar? Or does it exist when people gather, wherever they gather, to worship Jesus Christ, to teach the faith, to serve others. The Presbyterian Church affirms the role of community and living our lives in faith. The Declaration of Faith, which is a document that belongs to the church, particularly the Southern Church, has it this way, quote, God made us for life in community. God created human beings with a need for community and with the freedom to enter into it by responding to their maker with grateful obedience and to, another, and to one another with love and helpfulness. We believe we've been created to relate to God and each other in freedom and responsibility. We may misuse our freedom and deny our responsibility by trying to live without God and other people, 
or against God and other people. Yet we are still bound to them for our life and well-being and intended for free and responsible fellowship with them. Since every human being is made for communion with God and others, we must treat no one with contempt. We are to respect and love all other people and ourselves as well. End quote. The church provides for the sheltering love of God. It's a canopy, if you will, of faith that surrounds and supports us, all of us, children of God, in the community of faith. We're the church not only when we gather here on this site, but when we come together wherever we do, because wherever two or three are gathered in Christ's name, there's the church. We're the church especially when we're not here, when we disperse and we go to our homes and our places of work and our schools and we go to the Little League field and to our neighborhoods. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. Ten years ago, we were preparing for a capital campaign to renovate the facilities and bring them into the 21st century. We had, as a congregation, deferred maintenance for a number of years, so there was some significant work that needed to be done, including re-roofing the facility. The existing roof had been on for 70 years, and it was time to address that. However, not everyone agreed. Some felt that the church is strictly for the purpose of mission and should focus exclusively on some of the other six great ends of the church, like seeking justice, reaching out to the poor and the oppressed. Investing in renovations seemed counter to the mandate in Scripture that we should feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit those in prison. And at least one family in who I, with whom I was in conversation left the church over the decision to renovate these facilities. They felt mission was so much more important than the shelter, nurture, and spiritual fellowship of the children of God. And even though in that campaign over $600,000 was given to our ministry partners locally and around the world, for this family to spend anything on ourselves was taken away from greater needs. The six great ends of the church balance the needs of all. The ministries of the church, which include ministries to little Charlotte, who sometimes wants to compete with me in the sermon, <laughs> to our ministries to those who no longer can come to church to worship with us, but receive home communion and receive visits from the congregation to say you're still part of the community that is sheltered and nurtured and is spiritual fellowship for us all. We baptized this morning a child who needs to learn and grow in faith. That family 
needs a place for all of that to happen. The ministries of San Marino Community Church include reaching out and reaching in. The ministries of this church are for us, but not only for us, for all. So thus says the Lord, the one who created and formed you, do not fear, I've redeemed you. I've called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, and the flame will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, your Savior. And so this church, our church, your church, is a place of welcome and shelter and nurture and fellowship. So go out there today following worship and following our congregational meeting and enjoy it out there in the courtyard. We're made for life in a community like this. We're made to relate to God and one another. We may misuse our freedom. We may deny our responsibility. We may try to live without God and other people or against God and other people. But we're still bound to them for our life and our well-being. We're intended for the free and responsible fellowship with others. Every human being is made for communion with God and others, so we treat no one with contempt. We respect, we love other people as well as ourselves because we are all children of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.